Doubt is a funny thing. It nips at you. It whispers to you. It's the subtle wrapping inside your own skull, the gentle nudge forward and back. It amplifies the obvious and reveals the covert. If we'd only stop for a moment to listen, we might, in our own lives, observe its wisdom and so embrace the void. anyone was ever going to make it back from the void, I suppose it was going to be you. Oh, well, you know, one man's void is another man's piece of cake. What about the reality we left behind? What about the reality where Hitler cured cancer, Morty? The answer is don't think about it. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 239 of Embrace the Void, where none of the arguments are staged. I am your host, Aaron, and this week we are discussing freedom of expression in secular communities. So, Let's talk about talking. Life ends in death, which we, as a species, are cursed with knowing, resulting in... something. My guest this week is Seth Andrews, host of the Thinking Atheist podcast and author of several books, including most recently, Christianity Made Me Talk Like an Idiot. Seth, would you like to say hi to the void? Hey, it's good to uh, be here. It's good to see everybody, or virtually see everybody. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. We got like a brief chance to meet at the American Atheist Convention, but there was so much good stuff going on. We didn't really get a chance to chat, so I thought it'd be fun to talk about some of the issues in the movement recently. First, though, for folks who are not familiar with movement secularism, do you want to tell folks a bit about your background and how you've come to be, you know, giving talks about things like cannibalistic blood rituals? <laughs> yeah. Well, the short version of a long story is that I was raised in a fundamentalist evangelical home. My parents were both theologians, you know. And so Christian school, Christian music, Christian friends, of course, Christian church. And I ended up a communicator, you know, a youth for Christ. I was on stage promoting the gospel as a youth and ended up as a Christian radio broadcaster for about 12 years. We played hmm. all the you know, back this back in the 90s. So it was Amy Grant and Stephen Curtis Chapman and that kind of thing. And uh, then I was a video producer for about 10 years. Most of our clientele was churches. And so I traveled the country and did, uh, you know, fundraising and promotional videos for churches, hundreds of churches. And, uh, you know, I was in my 30s and I started to become more and more dissatisfied with, you know, my faith, I, I realized that I hadn't really done my own thinking on mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff. And I stumbled up upon a Christopher Hitchens video that, you know, I was prepared to totally oppose everything that he said. And instead I thought, well, this guy makes some sense, which is weird and a bit terrifying. And so, you know, that and a bunch of other stuff sort of propelled me on a journey deconstructing and dissecting and 
at the end of the journey back in 2008, I realized, you know, it didn't make any sense. I, I didn't buy it. I didn't believe it. And then in 2009, in my sort of desire to be a part of the conversation and my quest for community, because I live in the Bible Belt state of Oklahoma, mm. I started a website called The Thinking Atheist. The Thinking Atheist not being a person, it is an idea. It is the rejection of faith and the embrace of reason. Let's think about these things. Started the podcast a year later, and uh, you know, here in 2022, I'm still kicking, but you know, I, I, I just want to be a part of the conversation and mm -hmm. I certainly hope part of the solution out there, you know, mm -hmm. to help disabuse people of what is often a harmful superstitious belief and to tell them it's okay. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to ask questions and, uh, you know, to think about these things. So that's my story in a nutshell. That's cool. Is there a particular argument or experience or something that like you look back on as the the thing that sort of most drove you? Was there something in Hitchens' argument that really hooked you? Or do you just feel like it was the sort of accumulation of um, arguments and experiences? Well, my best friend had come out to me as gay in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize it at the time. You know, I, I was indignant. You know, uh, I was terrified he was going to burn in hell for his aberration, his perversion. And after about a year of us not speaking, I realized how much I miss the guy and how much I just love him and how beautiful a person he was. And, you know, that he wasn't really the problem. I was the problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I reached out. We reconnected. And I think it was at that point that I unconsciously started to remove sections of the Bible and my own Christian faith that didn't really jive or weren't comfortable. And so, you know, I started to custom fit my own religion. 9-11 mm -hmm. was big for me. Everybody was talking about God. You know, the Islamists were talking about God and the Christian zealots were talking about God. And I didn't see any God anywhere. You know, there's a lot of things like that. It was probably a death by a thousand cuts. Mm -hmm. The immorality of hell theology more and more bothered me, the sort of torture theology, mm -hmm. uh, you know, which is not, you know, essentially Christ saying, love me or I'll burn you. And mm -hmm. people would say to me, well, you know, God doesn't send you to hell, you choose hell. And I didn't see it as a choice. I saw it as a kind of blackmail, you know. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of stuff like that. I think much of my deconstruction and deconversion came down to giving myself permission. You know, for the longest time, I didn't think I really had permission. I'm not worthy. People would tell me, who are you to question God? And of course, that's a presumptuous question because they were presuming their specific God, in this case, mm -hmm. Yahweh, Jesus. And uh, I, finally, I came to a point where I'm like, well, you know, I do have permission. I need to give myself permission to ask these questions. It's okay. Any worthy God wouldn't be bothered by doubt and would easily and quickly and gladly answer the questions and make themselves known and plain. And uh, so, you know, uh, that was another probably piece of the puzzle, this idea that God would be so intolerant of non-allegiance or doubt that he would just torch you made no sense mm -hmm. to me. And, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just a lot of different stuff. Um, I've talked yeah. about him over the course of hundreds of shows, whether it's dissecting the Bible against the science, the embrace of things like evolutionary science against the creation account. Uh, watching the apologists, these supposed experts, they all get in a room 
And yet they can't agree with each other on anything from how you mm -hmm. baptize to a literal book of Genesis, to the Holy Spirit, to speaking in tongues, to the nature of miracles, to whether hell exists or what hell looks like, what heaven looks like. I mean, these quote unquote experts in the Bible can't even agree on the biblical definition of the word virgin. And so, you know, the more you see this weird division and squabbling by people who supposedly worship the God who was not the author of confusion, you realize there are some serious red flags there. Mm, yeah. And yeah, I think we don't need to necessarily go through all of those kinds of arguments. It's, it's, I was mostly curious about if there was anyone in particular. Like for me, the problem of evil was a pretty strong one. But I like the general overall emphasis on the questioning, the having the conversation, um, especially because that kind of ties into what the impetus was for our conversation here today. I was inspired to, to try to reach out to have this conversation uh, based on actually on two things. The first was a recent episode of Thinking Atheist that you did with Dr. Hector Garcia um, and Dr. Valerie Terrico about impossible conversations around things like woke culture. Uh, and the second one was a piece, it was a, um, uh, a comment actually that you made after the convention um, that seemed to echo some of the same concerns from that episode. So I thought it might be helpful to just read the uh, comment first, and um, then I could get some of your sort of explanation about what you, what you have in mind with regard to these issues. Um, so this was in response to Dave Warnock's talk at the conference, which I also got to see and which I really enjoyed. Um, you said, Dave Warnock nailed it at AACon 2022. Um, many who condemn religious dogmatism and shunning in religions practice it as atheists. We dehumanize, we splinter, we demand absolute allegiance uh, and burn heretics alive. We have to admit this tragic human tendency and we have to stop it. Um, so I was curious if you could expand some on like, what are the things that you feel like within our own community we're not allowed to question or have, you know, we have to have absolute allegiance towards? Well, I, I think a lot of it speaks to attitudes, you know, the broader umbrella idea that, you know, if you are wrong, then you are bad. And if you are bad, then you are garbage. And if you are garbage, you much must be crushed. And this idea that all tribes do this. I'm preparing a speech I'll be giving this summer about the dearth of kindness and consideration, especially on social media. But when a Christian talks about atheists as one thing, we see Frank Turek and other apologists do this, you know, the atheists are all this. Atheists are all that. I mean, it's usually a pejorative. And what do we do? We respond and say, we are a widely complex spectrum of humanity. You'll find atheists who are on this side of the political spectrum and this side and all the people in between. You'll find rational and irrational. You'll find humanistic and not humanistic. You'll find good and bad and everybody in between. We are, you know, millions upon millions of people who are non-religious. You can't put us in a cookie cutter. And then what do we do with Christians? We do the same thing. Christians want this. All Christians are Nazis, you know, kind of thing. And I've actually seen this, you know. So what we do is we see a lot of the uh, 
the evangelical Christian nationalist zealots, domestic terrorists who smashed their way into the Capitol on January 6th of last year. And there are people in the atheist movement who say, well, if you are a Christian, then you hold to that deity or that Bible, and then you are aligned or enabling other Christians who might be more radical, who are enabling Christians who are white Christian nationalist zealots. Therefore, you are part of the structure and you are the worst. And, you know, binary thinking, I think, cheats us all. I've also become interested in this idea that we can never be wrong. And this is something that human beings do. You know, we have a, a belief that is linked to our identity. And we go after somebody else, obviously, because we feel like we are in the right. But if we're never wrong, essentially we're saying we're gods, <laughs> you know? I mean, what human is infallible? What human has never had a bad idea? And if you are wrong, are you then human garbage that needs to be shunned? And I, I refer to myself back, you know, not too far in my, my past. I was a Fox News zealot. I was a Christian nationalist. I equated the Islamic faith with terrorism. So Muslims equal terrorists, you know. I, I was, uh, the United States is the greatest country on the face of the earth just because we are screw everybody else. I was pro-death penalty. I was anti-reproductive choice. I was bigoted against gay people. I mean, I was against right to die issues. I was, I was, I was just on the wrong side of so many issues. Mm -hmm. Was I evil? You know, was I somebody who needed to be crushed or was I just wrong? And when I was going through my own journey, I thought, you know, what if I had encountered some of these people who just who saw somebody with terrible ideas and decided they were subhuman and they committed themselves to throwing the Molotov cocktail, setting me on fire, destroying me utterly, dancing on the ashes. Would I have felt so unsafe and so defensive and so attacked that I would have retreated back to a place where I felt more safe, which in that case mm -hmm. would have been some flavor of religion. And, so, uh, you know, oh, yeah. so I'm, I'm just sort of uh, this idea that we, we can't have conversations. You know, someone reasoned me out of an unreasonable faith or several people helped to reason me out of an unreasonable faith. And so yeah. I, I'm interested in how do we change minds? Are we interested in actually changing minds and changing the culture in that way, whether we're talking about religion or otherwise? And I think that's my, my larger focus. Yeah, and I'm sympathetic to this in general, but I'm concerned about the lack of detail. So like I'm sympathetic to the idea of kindness, especially towards people who have bad epistemic luck. That's something I talk about a lot. Um, sympathetic towards the idea that we are fallible as individuals and so should be sort of less hubristic about our own kinds of beliefs, whether even if we did get lucky and happen to have you know a fair number of accurate beliefs. Um, my concern is sort of when you get into the phrasing of we need to be able to have certain conversations and we can't, if there's not concrete examples, it feels to me very similar to the kind of language that we hear from folks like the atheists for anti-wokeness who freaked out about Mandisa Thomas's slides about white supremacy and who accuse our community of being unable to have you know, conversations around wokeness. Um, and I, you know, I noticed in your 
episode as well with uh, Dr. Garcia, you know, he said something like, to, you know, you can't even say the phrase woke culture. Uh, you can't even examine whether that exists. And, and that to me seems in conflict with my experience where I spend a lot of time talking about woke culture and cancel culture. And I don't particularly experience a concern about being canceled for having those conversations. So I guess I'm, I'm trying to understand within the atheist community, not just bashing no, on Christian example. But, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, if you want a specific, yeah, I mean, I, uh, beyond my sort of umbrella, um, mm -hmm. we talk about we're atheists, which describes what we don't believe. We don't believe in God. But I mean, you can only say there is no evidence for any gods. You can only do that so many times, so many ways. And I think the natural yeah, next I agree step, there, and I agree yeah. with Dale McGowan. You know, for me, atheism was the first step. Humanism is the thousand steps that follow, which leads us into the idea of equality and, and protections and justice, et cetera. So let's, we know if we talk about race, right? And I, I do, I love Mandisa. She's, in fact, I'm releasing a video or just released a video of a conversation we have, you know, where I, this white guy is talking to her about some of the challenges we face regarding race. But you know, I'm thinking of a guy, he's like me, right? Middle-aged white guy. I'm a proponent. I like Black Lives Matter. I, I, after speaking to people like Mandisa and Will Judy, who's the Texas State Director of American Atheists, et cetera, you know, I like the idea of being able to put a spotlight on a marginalized group and say there has been systematic oppression of this group over the course of our history, and this particular group is still struggling to catch up. And we need to address these systemic issues, which ripple into today to help correct that. I mean, to me, it's unrealistic to say that everybody's going to have be the same at the finish line, you know, across the human spectrum. But our goal is to make sure everybody has an equal opportunity at the starting gate. Right. And this has not been the case for people of color throughout our history. So I like Black Lives Matter, but my friend does not. He, he thinks it is essentially racism to fight racism. He, he thinks that you are, you're singling out a specific demographic when you are trying to promote equality across the color spectrum. We are all human beings. We are all Africans. So the idea should be that we're, you know, we're not focusing on the color of our skin and we're focusing on our shared humanity. Now he's not one of these all lives matter people who's waving the black American flag and essentially using this shield to protect what I think is often bigotry. I've seen the guy, I've talked to the guy, I know him. I've, I've, we've spoken behind closed doors. I have never, not once ever, ever, ever seen a, a racist. He, he, he wants what we want. He wants racial equality. He wants bigotry and discrimination defeated. Mm -hmm. But he's not a proponent of Black Lives Matter. He, he doesn't really get that. And I think it's kind of a naive position. But our disagreement is not about racial equality. Our disagreement is about tactics. How do we get there? How do we build that better world for all of us as part of the human condition? But if he was to go and say... I don't agree with BLM. There is a culture of people that will say, well, you are now part of the system. You are enabling the system that is repressing and suppressing and, and discriminating against people of color, AKA you are a racist. 
And that is a hot button issue. I mean, it's just so hot that you hesitate even to bring it up because you know it's so contentious. But we should be able to talk about this guy and we should be able to talk about BLM in good faith, right? Which is a huge component. And Mm -hmm. to talk about tactics, how do we get there? Could I be wrong about this? Tell me why I'm wrong. Let's sit down over even a cup of virtual coffee and speak to each other like human beings. And so often this does not happen. Immediately, we knee jerk ourselves into a binary model where somebody is best, worse, they're a racist or Nazi or whatever. When the truth is, we may just have a disagreement about tactics. You know, that's an example of the kind of thing I'm talking about. And social media has made it a lot worse. We take our little position and we throw it into 280 characters against somebody that we may not even know. That's an avatar, a two-dimensional photograph, an other, an outgrouper. And we vilify them and just continue to divide into these little micropods. And, uh, you know, I worry about that. I think we're going to divide ourselves into, into a kind of impotence or self-immolation that's going to mm. defeat the very causes that we want to support. Okay, great. So, yeah, I do think this is a valuable example to focus in on um, because I think a lot of people who I talk to share your fear or concern around discussing these particular kinds of issues and I struggle because I feel like disconnected to that experience to some extent. Um, so, you know, I also, you know, pass as white. I'm half Jewish, but like I'm certainly steeped in a many, many kinds of privilege. Um, but I don't particularly feel anxious, not just talking about these sorts of culture war issues, but actually, you know, being critical about po- problems in tactics or problems in approaches. Right. Um, now, my. My my concern here is how do we distinguish between genuine feeling that you can't have this conversation and like, you know, whether or not that is actually the case, right? It seems to me that you and I could talk here right now about tactics, about issues, and nothing bad would happen to either of us. Um, I do think there are situations where individuals who you know, haven't spent much time talking about these things and say something that they don't understand to be, you know, not ideal in the way it's phrased or something. There are certainly people online who will jump on those individuals and that can feel like a really unpleasant experience and is and is harmful. And I don't think people should be doing those sorts of things. But I'm I hesitate to say that that means that we can't have a conversation within our community and that like atheists themselves are burning other atheists at the stake for, you know, being critical of some approaches to Black Lives Matter or something like that. So the, um, you know, after Mandisa's talk, there was a bunch of pushback and it was specifically about the slide about white supremacy that persists within um, secular communities. And a lot of the arguments are of the form, you know, Mandisa's getting a pass from everyone. Like no one's pushing back on Mandisa's arguments in in any of this. Um, do you do you feel like that's true? Like you don't feel comfortable if you wanted to object to like art, you know, the centering of let's say white nationalism or white Christian nationalism. Um, do do you feel like you're not able to like have a serious conversation about those specific things within our community, or is it that you're more worried about individuals who have that 
uh, perception and it puts them off having the conversation at all. Well, I was at the, the speech. Most people weren't. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I saw what she said in the context in which it was said. And mm -hmm. it made a lot of sense to me. But if you are throwing stones from the cheap seats, so to speak, and I've seen some people do this, you know, they weren't there. They don't understand uh, what Mandisa is saying. And now they're calling the American Atheist National Convention, the entire organization and huge sections of the movement anti-white. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about, right? They are looking at this from a distant vantage, and they are knee-jerking themselves into painting whole sections of the atheist movement and a, a major institution and organization within the, the movement as some sort of a, a white-hating, uber-woke kind of thing. And, you know, you'll see people doing that. People like to reduce. They are reductive by nature. We like simple. We like to distill things down into something that we can put on a bumper sticker. It's a human tendency. Tribalism is a human tendency. And, you know, we'll see factions within every tribe and sub, sub, sub factions. So I'm not really sure what your pushback is. I mean, I think we look around at the human condition and we see that, you know, people are going to you know, cordon themselves into these little pods in many cases, and they will simply vilify the other. I think it serves the human ego. I think it simplifies an overwhelmingly complex world. I think sometimes it protects toxic people. So, you know, this is a, a human tendency. I think it's just fine. As Dr. Hector Garcia is, you know, we sometimes turn on the out group and sometimes we turn on those we deem impure within the in group. But ultimately, rehumanizing each other is part of the goal. And I myself, I'm not saying that I won't mm -hmm. go after people I consider to be bad agents. I'm not going to go soft on Ben Shapiro. <laughs> I'm just not. I mean, he's an yeah. awful human being doing awful things. I'm not going to go soft on the Fox and Friends show. I'm not going to go soft on the Proud Boys and the insurrectionists. You know, this idea that that there aren't hard targets is not what I'm talking about. But I think we miss a lot of opportunities whenever we're, we go and we, we see, encounter somebody. And I'm talking a lot about the Twitterverse. And somebody says something. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of this now with Elon Musk, right? Mm -hmm. And he buys Twitter. And people are totally squaring off. Well, I, I totally get people have strong opinions. But they are so eager to validate themselves in those opinions that they knee-jerk themselves into bad information. Somebody, I've seen a lot of skeptics, quote-unquote skeptics, and they share this meme. If Elon was to have given $44 billion to every American in this country, we would all have a million dollars. And if you do the math... I'm pretty sure that was, a, that was a joke tweet, actually, that people It's not seriously. being shared as a joke. It's I know because it's satire, satire and people and satire is dead. Um, it, it, but let me yeah. let me. Sorry, I, I not to get too far into Elon. I, I wanted to clarify what my concern is here because you said you sort of weren't weren't clear on what it was. My concern is I don't personally experience there to be any topic on which I can't have an open conversation at this point. So well, I'm happy for you. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 you know, I'm happy for you. Yeah, I'm trying to under, I want to understand what the difference is between my experience and other people's experiences, because I don't think it's that I'm 
of a particular group that makes me immune to criticism, nor do I think it's that I don't criticize, you know, woke doctrines or something like that. It's more, um, you know, and I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on this, but from my perspective, it's a mix of, you know, having done enough, a bunch of listening to people about these different kinds of issues and having to some extent developed a reputation of being able to talk about controversial issues in a, you know, quote unquote, informed and respectful kind of way that gives me space to do the kind of work that I do. And I'm, I don't think that's, you know, easily scalable for every single human being. But to some extent, I think it's possible that for everyone, you know, you can develop a reputation of being someone who is earnestly trying to understand and that that will buy you a fair bit of leeway, even amongst the people that are thought of as sort of the woke. Um, so do you think there's something else going on there? Do you think I'm just naive about the no, risk of cancellation? But so, I think so, yours okay. is, is a personal experience. It is your personal experience, and I'm happy for you. I think to a degree, I, I like to think I've developed a kind of personal equity where I can sit down with Mandisa Thomas and look her in the eye and say, okay, Mandisa, I'm a white dude. Let's talk about race. I mean, I, I get that. I think a lot of it speaks to good faith. I just think there are a lot of instances when we are reductive. And sometimes we run into people who are not good agents or who quite simply knee jerk themselves. I mean, it, it's an it's often an outrage culture, outrage for controversy, outrage for recreation, outrage for clicks and profit. And I think it's fair to look at the Twitterverse, to look at Facebook, et cetera, and see people who are just literally going from zero to a thousand. In we call this moral rate. outrage porn, by the way. My friend CTN has talked about this a lot. I mean, yeah. I'm at a point position as a, an activist, and I will throw whatever, whether it's religious or whether it's a human rights issue or whatever. Now, people argue about anything. I mean, I, uh, I posted something, you know, I think the Enterprise in Star Trek, the motion picture, is the best Enterprise. It's the best ship of the entire franchise. And people argue about they People will... And it's amazing how quickly we, we turn on each other, which is, I think, the, the main concern that I have is there is a chance that we are really aligned on a lot of stuff, but we tend to just go into orbit. We just go thermonuclear, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. I, I think we have got to come to a point where we take a breath and we consider and we start to humanize the person we're speaking with. And, and right. I think it's totally fair to say that we could use more of that. Now, I want to speak to woke culture quickly, if I may. Mm -hmm. I think woke is often used as a conversation stopper. I think, uh, you know, there are extremists in every culture, overreactors in every culture. But a lot of times when I see people, especially on the right, and they're whining about woke culture, what they're actually whining about is basic human decency. <laughs> you know, if whatever, mm -hmm. if the Washington Redskins do, decide. You think that's what Dr. Garcia was whining about in your episode when he talked about how you can't discuss woke culture, that, that like that's what he's really concerned about? Or do you mean other people, not him? I, I, th I think he's speaking about, uh, I think he holds that woke culture. I, I'm, first of all, he just spoke about having a conversation about what woke culture is. And I think we actually had 
a, a definition, which I cannot recall the words of at the moment. But I don't, you know, I think he is on the same side that we are on in the sense that we want equality in humanity, right? We want to see humanity win the day. But there is this notion that, that if we are on the side of basic human decency, and this is my perspective, that mm -hmm. we are then woke and woke becomes a pejorative. But if I'm the Washington Redskins and I realize that the word redskin has been used as a, you know, a dehumanizer for Native Americans for so long mm -hmm. and they want to change their name, I think that's just, I think that's a great idea. But the far right people would call that woke. I don't, that's not the context. I don't think that uh, Garcia is calling woke. And you'd have to speak to him if you want to get into the weeds sure. on what he considers woke culture. So, yeah. I mean, I, so let me, let me ask you specifically then about some of your comments from that episode. Um, because I mean, I'm, a, I'm, I'm in full agreement with you about the reductive problem and the moral um, outrage porn and the oversimplifying. And these are, I think, genuine concerns. But then when I listen to that episode, I also worry that you also are doing some of that kind of stuff. So for example, you said, at one point in the episode, you know, it's Thunderdome out there. Is nuance dead? Right. That was your sort of setup to the conversation. And that to me feels like two statements at cross purposes. Right. The idea that it's that that like this, we you know, this very big, strong claim that we can't have conversations about certain things doesn't strike me as a nuanced stance on woke culture or cancel culture or something like that. Um, you know, it seems somewhat hyperbolic, I guess. So do you, I mean, how do you, how would you address that concern, I guess? Uh, the idea that it's Thunderdome on the internet, in social media circles, you consider that a hyperbolic statement? I, I think, in, yeah, in the way that it carried out in that conversation, it felt to me unnuanced because it feels, here's what it feels like to me, right? It feels like you believe there are individuals sort of within our community, within atheist communities and such, who are impure in a sort of liberal kind of sense, right? They're not good liberals. They want to shut down discourse over various topics um, or, you know, they want to just get mad and, and attack people who um, disagree with them. And I'm not saying there are no people like that in the world, but I worry that when when they are sort of put forward as a point of concern without much kind of concrete who we're talking about kind of stuff, um, then it does feel like it becomes hyperbolic in a way that feeds into the kind of uh, anti-woke narratives that it seems like you're not a fan of. Um, and so I guess I, I wonder if you're at least concerned that that kind of stuff unmoored from specific examples could, you know, contribute to the problem. I just gave you a specific example. And I think talking about... Right, right. A, but you gave me the specific now, example I when, I, when I asked you for it. I just wanted if to... Yeah, I, go ahead. If I speak okay. about what is often a basic human tendency, which is in-grouping and out-grouping and tribal reinforcements, oversimplification, mm -hmm. reductive thinking, it applies to so much across the board. And I think that's fair. I think what we like to do is we like the simple, we like the easy, and we like to feel superior. We like to go out after other people. And I think being able to, to look at the potential of that applying in a lot of different instances, whether we're talking about politics or religion or whatever, uh, I, think, I think that's fair. 
and you know being able to cast that wide net so that we can then assess all of the the spectrum of things that we deal with as human beings and i just think perhaps it's not your experience that you have seen all of the bickering and the infighting and the nastiness and the tribalism and the dehumanization that takes place on Twitter. I'm just simply saying that I have. I see it all the time. I see it every day. It makes me weary. And if anyone, anybody who has taken a look at my words and work, and I think we've done whole show, I think we've got a whole show on what wokeness is, or we've defined wokeness, they will know that I think these things are situational. And that I think that woke is often a word unfairly used by people who simply want to diminish and discount us as human rights advocates and advocates for justice. You know, whenever I see Gina Carano, who was let go from The Mandalorian because she's posting awful stuff, I don't think she's a victim of cancel culture. We did a whole show on Carano. She is essentially living in a cause and effect world where the people who hired her did not want to be associated with those types of comments and they showed her the door. And then she goes over to Ben Shapiro and she does something else. She, she does. And of course, this is a revelation of why they were probably right to get, show her the door in the first place. So I'm not, an, I'm not an opponent of what some would call woke culture. I think woke is being misused. Now, I do think that there are some people who take that to the extremes, you know, but largely we're talking about human rights issues and we just deal with them specifically. So I'm not exactly sure what your concern is. I think anybody who is familiar with me and my work knows my position on these things, which ultimately I would like to think falls very, very much under the umbrella of human rights and justice. Yeah. And, and I, like, I wouldn't, you know, I, I'm, I wanted to have this conversation because I definitely have the impression that you seem to be on board with the kind of social justice turn that movement secularism seems to be taking. Um, there are clearly folks who are not on board with that concern, who are no longer part of the organizations like American Atheism and instead are, are, you know, throwing stones from the cheap seats, um, as you put it. And it's hard if your concern is just there are some people who are very mean on the Internet and that makes discourse harder. I definitely agree with you. Um, it's harder because it feels like sometimes it seems like there are more specific concerns than that about specific topics um, that are sort of hot button issues like Black Lives Matters, where it feels like you're going farther and saying no one is really able to have earnest conversations about this, not just it's harder because of angry people on the Internet. So I wanted to try to get clear. No, I, I didn't say yeah. no one. I, I hold to that. Uh claim that all generalities are false, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying no one can have nuanced conversation, but I am saying that in this increasingly disconnected world, especially in the context of COVID, nuanced, thoughtful, considera uh, con considerate consideration, mm -hmm. considerate. <laughs> conversations with consideration are very, very, very difficult to have, and they're all too rare. And that's simply been my experience from my vantage. And if your vantage has been a different one, then I, that's totally valid and I get that. But understand that from my vantage, I see polarization, I see oversimplification, I see a shit ton of division, and I think we can do better. And I think that's a fair statement. So let me come at this from a different angle and see if we can understand the disagreement here some, or if there isn't maybe one. Um, 
one of the other things y'all talked about in that episode was sitting in the room with difference. Um, and clearly from having this conversation, you and I are both on board with sitting in the room with difference. Um, but I think to put it, you know, to try to talk about the nuance there a little bit, I also think we agree you don't have to sit in the room with all kinds of difference, that yeah. there are differences which are, you know, we're no longer going to have you be, be part of our community kinds of differences. Um, and I'm curious how you hash out that line because, uh, you know, a lot of the debate comes down to, oh, well, you've put the line too far over here, so you're a zealot versus you haven't put it far enough, so you're complicit or something like that. How do you think about the drawing the line between... Um, you know, the conversations that are hard, but we want to have a debate about them versus, you know, topics where it's just like, we're not interested in debating that as a, as a community. And if you're here to try to start an argument about that, then we're not interested in talking to you. I think it's situational. I think mm -hmm. the line is drawn imperfectly. I don't have a magic bullet on this one. Where I start is, are they operating in good faith? If somebody comes to me with a really bad idea uh, and I genuinely feel like they are interested in a good faith conversation, that you know, a better idea might win the day. Or if we can plant a seed where other conversations might come out of it, that's my starting point. If I see somebody who is uh they come in dogmatically and they're just a straight up bigots or misrepresenting or lying or they're corrupt or abusive or they've been exposed to somebody who is who has harmed other people and they are doing so and have done so without remorse. I don't I don't feel any obligation to go toe to toe with those people to, you know, I think again, I, I like the word hard targets. You know, there are some people I think who are hard targets. And I think that's situational. We simply look at the situation, we look at the person, we look at the backstory, and with consideration, we make a decision, a judgment call as to whether or not we're wasting our time or theirs, and whether they do need to be um, exposed or publicly criticized. I think that's fair. You know, here's a great example Dr. Robert Price, okay? He mm -hmm. is this Bible. He has been long considered a, an expert on the Bible. He's a Jesus mythicist. I've had him on the show, and I've interviewed him before years and years and years ago. So he comes out, and he is ex exposed as having some really bad ideas, right? Really bad ideas. Uh, you know, he believes that the insurrection was an Antifa thing, and he uses, when he talks about Hillary Clinton, he calls mm -hmm. her Hitlery or Killery, you know, and, mm -hmm. and he's just way off there. He's just gone way out. Um, and he has, uh, he has to me not shown any, uh, any desire to really listen. You know, I think uh, he is, everybody's simply on the defensive. Would I welcome a conversation if I felt like he was genuinely going to, you know, want to discuss? Okay. Yeah, I'd do that. But if I genuinely, if, if my personal encounter with him was that he was just simply throwing stones and he was totally a closed system, then I would need to, I, I would save my time and energy elsewhere. But publicly, I came forward in good faith without insult and said, I support the Myth Vision's decision to remove him as co-host. 
because he did not reflect the host's values or the values and reputation of the show. Mm -hmm. That's not cancel culture. That's consequence culture. In my opinion, Derek Lambert had every right to say, you don't reflect my values. I think you're harming people. You're a victim of bad ideas, but you're also spreading bad ideas. And I'm going to pull the plug. I cannot have you co-host the show. And I totally support that. Now, that doesn't fit in a box, but that's the approach. And uh, I don't hate mm -hmm. Dr. Price. I don't, I don't think he's a Nazi. I just think he's got some really bad ideas that have cast real doubt on his credibility on everything else. I think now we have to look to better sources. So, you know, that didn't fit in 280 characters, man. And that's all I'm saying. You know, we're sure. going well, of course, to you can do you can do threads on Twitter now. It's not just the 280 characters. But um, you understand my point. And I don't think Twitter Twitter threads are an effective way to communicate nuanced ideas. It can I have no be idea done. what's an effective way to, to to provide nuanced ideas at this point in the I world. I genuinely but, you know. think in-person encounters, mm -hmm. even an encounter, a discussion like this is better than the impersonal typing black letters on white backgrounds you know, trying to tweet the right thing or, or snark the right thing or have the best catchphrase or the hashtag or the gotcha, this yeah. sort of uh, performative I goodness. I think what you and I are doing now is far advanced and improved over that type of thing. I hear, I hear what you're saying, though. I also tend to want to jump to the defense of Twitter because I think it gets dunked on a lot as being a dumpster fire, and in many ways it is, but it also is a place where I've met some wonderful people and made sort of amazing connections, and it's been an, sort of an invaluable resource. And this is generally, I think, true of social media, as critical as I am of the way that social media you know, enables the spread of conspiracism and things like that. I wouldn't get rid of social media if I could because of all the people who need it for community, who don't have access to community in other kinds of ways. And but, you and I so, share that. You and I yeah. share that. I mean, social media makes what I do possible. Right. And it has provided a community of people globally. So I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but it doesn't mean that I can't be critical of the dark side of the technology. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Absolutely. So let me, so it seems to me we're on a, the same page on a lot of things here. And let me just sort of sum up and then you can tell me if I've got any of this wrong. So from my perspective, it sounds like we generally agree that um, though there are people on the internet who make conversation harder by demonizing people who disagree with them, um, that in the right context like this, you can have hard conversations about serious topics and that, you know, like the American atheist community, for example, is not preventing people from having those kinds of conversations within its community, generally speaking. Is that do you feel like you generally agree with most of that? Yeah, I don't see American. I'm not sure exactly what they have to do with this conversation, but. Well, because, for example, like the detractors accuse them of having kicked out everybody who disagrees with them about wokeness oh, and all that sort of. Yeah. Right. So talk about binary thinking, you know what I'm saying? Sure. And most of these people weren't even in the room. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's just crazy. No, I mean, uh, we are talking about the American atheist people and I'm on the board of directors, just full disclosure. Mm -hmm. But the staff, the organizers, the people who make up the community are beautiful people operating in good faith. And I genuinely think that that they are they they are on the side of human beings and human rights. And if somebody approached them in good faith, they would 
they would want the best ideas to win and they would engage in a meaningful way. They don't deserve mm-hmm. to be vilified by these people who are throwing grenades over the wall, calling us all woke and calling us all, you know, proponents of white guilt, you know, et cetera. That's sure. just stupid. It's crazy. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that's why I'm happy to be part of the organization and trying to get people who feel like they had to leave the movement because they weren't um, welcome uh, to, t- to give it another shot, essentially. Um, but let me, well, let me try on, something let me, here. Let, Can I ask you what you mean by that? Like sure. the entire movement? This is part of the binary thinking that, that I'm trying to address, right? We are not a movement. We are a series of movements, okay? We are gears that operate independently, but also operate together. So the local groups are part of the movement. The national groups are part of the movement. You know, the Oasis groups are part of the movement, the YouTubers and the bloggers and the columnists and the podcasters and the authors, et cetera. I mean, all of these mm-hmm. organizations and people are operating as gears independently that can also work together. Well, su- pseudo so independently, some- right? Like there's definitely influence up and down within those systems of a variety Absolutely. of kinds of sorts. The gears can interact with each other, but if a comet right. falls on the American Atheist National Convention and staff tomorrow... The rest of the movement continues to kick forward and the the necessary work continues. And the binary thinking that uh, that happens is somebody who is like the president of American Atheist is exposed and removed, right? He's removed from within the movement. We removed that agent from the movement, okay? So so let me me explain where I was coming from with this because I think maybe we do have some disagreement here. I do think things are getting better. I think things are getting better partly because things got really bad. Um, And I have in particular in mind events like Elevator Gates and the reaction to it um, by people within our community. I think there is good reason that, and I said this in my talk at American Atheists, I think we have got a bad reputation as a community that we earned. We earned it by letting people dunk on pronouns and letting people, you know, make fun of LGBTQ folks and make fun of women through Gamergate. Hang on. You mean everybody in the movement, all the organizations, national, regional, and local, all the podcasters, I don't think it's it's useful to say it has to be 100% of the movement to say it isn't a significant problem within the movement. You're saying a majority of the movement enabled I think a majority of of the top-line people of New Atheism played a pretty significant role in mainstreaming anti-wokeness in a way that is very harmful. So people oh, like Richard Dawkins is not Sam Harris movement. Dawkins. No, he's not the movement, but he was a very significant influence on it. A lot of people came to the movement via him and a lot of people came to the movement via Harris. And they have subsequently been introduced to folks like James Lindsay, right? Like who was a part of the movement until he got so bad that he was not a part of the movement. And now he's a part of, you know, the anti-wokes for uh, atheism kind of group. So I don't think that it was 100% of the movement, but I also think that a lot of people had a very reasonable frustration about the way that codes of ethics were resisted within the movement, the way that um, respect for LGBTQ individuals, especially trans individuals, was resisted within the movement. I, I don't think that that's everybody, and I think it's getting better. I'm very on, I'm very excited that it's getting better, but I think part of that getting better has to be acknowledging that it was not good for a time during the new atheism period. I think it's fair to say we've had a long way to go, and we've had a lot of problems. 
But if you're going to make a statement about all or most, mm -hmm. then we get into the weeds of, okay, well, which? Because while Dawkins was one of the franchise players back in 2007, 2008, when quote unquote new atheism was a thing, we're still talking about a movement that was wildly diverse. And many of the criticisms of people like Dawkins and Harris came from us. Came I'm from not sure it was that widely diverse, to be honest. I think it was pretty homogenous for a period. I, I don't and like think we're trying that, to fix that homogenous nature now. Well, you certainly have had our challenges when it comes to diversity in the movement. You're right. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, we were mostly defined by white guys. And I, I totally, you and I agree on that. But I don't necessarily agree that the people who comprise the wide spectrum of the movement were part of the problem, all part of the problem, and were turning a blind eye to the problem. Some of it had to do with awareness. I think some of it had to do with focus. I do think we had a lot of problems that needed to be addressed, and we still have a long way to go. You and I agree. But I think this whole deal that, you know, well, Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins were the movement, and they turned out to be problematic, that to me is a bit of an overgeneralization that I resist because I think the movement is, is huge, and I think a lot of people are doing a lot of amazing work, and I think those people are responsible for exposing mm -hmm. these bad ideas and trying to improve things from within and without. I agree with most of that. I think it's important to note how many people came to the atheist movement via the quote unquote four horsemen and their work and the, por the portion of those who I think were highly susceptible to anti-woke, Gamergate, all these kinds of cultural things that then pulled them out of what I think is now our portion of the movement and into a different group. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's hey, a make sure I understand. Here. You're yeah. saying that they felt burned by a specific incident or activist, and so they left the whole movement because of that that incident or a couple of incidents. And I, my question I think beyond degrees, that yes. is, is it fair to all of the other human rights ad advocates within the movement who were genuinely doing good work. I'm not, I wasn't worried about necessarily whether or not it's fair. I think obviously, you know, spiraling into anti-woke conspiracism is neither fair nor a good idea. Um, but it is important to note that it was a significant portion of the movement that, for example, you know, Harris, um, Harris's, and I talked about this uh, on a previous episode, his experience of quote unquote being canceled for his Islamophobic views um, impacted how he then uncritically platformed folks like Charles Murray about racial IQ, which in turn created the impression that like people who, you know, of the um, the woke, you know, anti-racist persuasion were actually part of the new a new religion or a new cult or a new, you know, problem or something like that. And that was a pretty significant chunk of people who went with him on that, I think. Not everybody, like clearly we still have a community, which is great, but like, I think it would be, you know, this, this is a debate that has been going on about like, did American, did new atheism merge with the alt-right? Or my view is that parts of atheism schismed, that we had a substantial schism within the movement over wokeness, essentially over social justice. And what we're seeing now is American atheism has uh, pretty strongly got behind the pro-social justice side of things. And then groups like atheists for anti-wokeness have taken the other approach. Now, we've definitely seen some people who have 
sort of spun in that direction. I used to be a fan of Ayan Hirsi Ali, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, enjoyed the book Infidel, but she's definitely pinballed over in that direction. I think that's a fair point. But Ayan Hirsi Ali was, for me, not the movement. I think that's the point I'm making. I, I, I just... Right. No one person and, is the movement, but enough people being a problem is a problem. And I, I have a little bit of a problem. I mean, I, I kind of get it, but new atheism is not... It's not... A, I mean, to me, it's just atheism. You know, we saw a resurgence back in 2006, seven. And I mean, eight. all of these terms are cluster concepts, but uh, I think they're I not... It. I mean, you I know, think they're useful for talking about periods within the movement. I think people are talking about sort of that surge with the you know, the speeches and the books, God is not great. It just released in the God delusion and letter to a Christian nation, et cetera. And, so, and folks I mean, like I, yourself who came over after nine 11 and things you I got pulled that. in because of the reactions to the Bush era. Let me, here, let me, let me switch gears a second. Cause I think, I think we've mostly have, have run this issue to ground. And before we run out of time and I have to torture you, I did want to, because you, because torture it sounds like me. Oh yeah. That's the enlightening round. Don't worry. We'll get there. Oh, um, great. you know, it sounds like you and I have had a different experience of all of this, where I feel like I've had a less, you know, stressed or, or anxious about the way that I might get canceled um, for talking about these kinds of issues. And I was just, no, maybe, this won't, maybe this won't work. Yeah. Are you saying that I worried that I'll get canceled? Because I don't. I don't have. Oh, any. you don't. Okay. So you feel no, like you're able to talk about anything. I don't have about being canceled. Okay, because I was going to offer to extend my my shielding of of wokeness or whatever, and see no, if I'm there not was sure any. Where that comes from? Well, uh, it, was, it was it was a bit of a joke, but I guess I, oh, all okay. I was getting at there was just that, you know, I do think it's valuable to talk about um, views that people have that they feel like they can't share in good faith. Um, I get sent, a, a, you know, all sorts of interesting DMs about topics like this, and I was just curious, you know, if you wanted to share a position that you feel like you're not able to be fully honest about where you are on it um, for us to talk about a little bit in this here safe space. I mean, I'm, I think we've already dealt with race. I think, you know, if you look at my life, I, I like to try to lead by example. You know, I don't spend a lot of time myself engaging in the comments because I think that they are they're not the most productive use of my time. <laughs> you know, uh, again, I think a lot of the, you know, people tend to become reductive and throw stones at each other in the comments section. Um, mm -hmm. But I think a lot of that is a tone I set from the top. It's like going back to Robert Price. You know, I could have gone after him and said he's the worst person in the world. My tack was, I think he's got some very terrible ideas and I do support his removal as co-host, but I do not hate the man. I simply believe his ideas must be countered. And I simply am saying, I want to see more of that. You know, I, I think we can take a strong stand without devolving ourselves into some kind of a stone throwing exercise. And, and I think we can also emulate the positive that we want to see when it comes to racial issues, when it comes to LGBT rights, when it comes to trying to elevate the playing field for everybody. I mean, to me, this is not a controversial position. The idea that social media has become this sort of oversimplifier and has caused us to cordon off inside our little pods and lash out, many times out of legitimate frustration in what might be an unproductive exercise. 
and instead pause and rehumanize each other. And I, you know, let's, let's do that. I think uh, certainly that's something you and I could agree on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm for rehumanizing. And um, I think part of my goal here was I, I was concerned that some of the language about atheists burning other atheists as heretics was not in the service of rehumanizing people. I you guess, felt like I was coming to the defense of somebody like um, Sam Harris or... Not necessarily coming to the defense of them so much as reproducing a kind of narrative that doesn't seem to be about humanizing the people who have been pushing social justice issues. It seems to be I, drawing on a, on a caricature of them to some no, extent. I, I think if I had said all... That would be a caricature. That would be a grand oversimplification. But acknowledging that tribes do this to each other, humans do this to each other, and atheists are very, very human, that's not an oversimplification. It's a fair statement. It's just simply something that I have seen enough of that it causes me I think it's more concern. about an emphasis here is the concern, right? I, well, I'm not know. sure what the problem is. Well, yeah, so let, let me you, try to explain. Um, my, my concern is that... Uh, when your statements to me gave the impression that this was a widespread and serious problem rather than it's frustrating that there is a small fringe. I didn't say small. Okay. Look, so, uh, so what, what portion is, of people do you think are burning people at the stake in this way? I don't have uh, a percentage of people. <laughs> I'm simply saying from my vantage as somebody who is host of uh, an organization that's pretty large and that I've interacted in a great many ways in a great many capacities I have seen enough of people just screaming at each other, one tribe against the other tribe, and atheists are not excluded from tribalism, that we need to work on it. Now, that's all I'm saying, and I think that's a reasonable and considerate and fair statement. I don't think that's uncontroversial in any way. I think it's not that it's uncontroversial in the way that you're describing it here. I think my concern is that some of the ways that you've put it forward. And like, we're running short on time in the main segments. Maybe we can talk about some more sort of concrete examples in, in um, the VIP discussion, because I do, I think it's really important to keep this conversation tied down to concrete examples. Otherwise, it feels like it can be sort of a vague criticism that can be lobbed at almost everybody in a way that doesn't seem actionable or especially, it feels it feels to me like a form of, of, of moral outrage porn that we've decided to call civility porn in a sense where it's like it's about this constant call for civility when it's not clear what specifically um people are being uncivil about and in what ways it's actually preventing people from having the conversations rather than simply making them harder but i do absolutely agree with you in general about the need for people to have hard conversations and for people to make room for people to have hard conversations, which has gotten, I think, harder um, for lots of reasons in the modern age. Um, let me, so I, I, like I said, I do have to torture you, but I always I wanna end with additional resources for folks who wanna understand more about these kinds of whatever issues we've been talking about on the show. So in this particular case, do you feel like there's resources that have helped you understand you know, having these hard conversations or debates about the wokeness stuff um, that you would point folks towards? Well, I think a lot of 
my approach has to do with concepts. I think it was Jonathan Haidt who had written the article that talked about, uh, there's a term in psychology called motive attribution as symmetry, mm -hmm. where human beings operate from the idea that we are automatically righteous and our opponents on whatever issue are automatically wicked and they cannot be reasoned with, so they must be crushed. And it's enough of a problem in human tribalism that it has become a known issue and a term in psychology. And I think, again, this speaks to, you know, what I'm talking about, in-grouping and out-grouping and, and oversimplification, vilifying, et cetera. And so just understanding, I think understanding how tribalism helped us survive on the African savanna, how it has good attributes, and it also has some negatives. And I think better understanding that. And then taking a breath and pacing myself. I mean, I, I've been guilty. I'll see something that drives me crazy or I think is totally crazy and, and wrong and immoral. And, and I just start mashing into the keyboard thinking I'm going to change the world with a tweet, you know, and mm -hmm. I stop and I think, am I really helping? Am I adding to the white noise? Am I taking a stand? Am I leading by example? Or am I simply allowing myself to get sucked into the, to the machine? And so, you know, just taking a breath, uh, considering before I act has helped me a little bit and uh, trying to use language that is not invective. It's not throwing labels and insults at each other, but being uh, more about the ideas themselves, as I did with Robert Price, et cetera. That has helped me in my own life. You know, it's, you can take the hard stand and I think we should. I think there are times to go do battle. You know, you got to get into the thick of it. There are hard targets, but I have been working on, you know, what's the best way to phrase it? What's the best way to produce a positive result? Am I wasting my time or is it good, good use of my time? You know, and I think mm -hmm. just taking a breath has helped me a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a good point for us to leave on. So unfortunately that means now comes the torture. So this is the enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. For folks who are not familiar, I'm going to give you a list of things. You're going to tell me, are these things real or not real? You don't get to define what you mean by real. You don't get to hedge. It's just real or not real. Okay? Wait a minute. I'm not sure I've agreed to this test. Is this some kind of gotcha? What, what, I can't define what's real and what's not real? I don't live well, in that let me, world. Let me be clear. The stakes are unbelievably low here i was so. just thinking uh, i'm not sure we need to be speaking about the same thing before i agree to give an answer but go ahead shoot that's give me that's the got. whole game here that's the fun of it right so first of all let me ask you do you think anything is real yes okay great so let's find out what's real so real or not real the external world yes okay colors real or not real Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Phenomenal consciousness. I don't understand the term. Uh, having inner world of experiences inside your mind. Well, a perception can be real, real to nah, me. Just, just real or not I'm, real. I'm sorry. I, I can't I know, do I know. it. I, I know. Can't that's the game. Do it. Welcome to the um, torture. I mean, it just doesn't work for me. I can't define real. Um, nope. I, I guess it's real, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Free will, real or not real? No. Selves or persons? Real. Uh, genders? Are there genders? Yeah. Okay. Races? 
Yeah. Species. Yeah. Morality. Evolved ethical systems. Yeah. Okay. Rights. Yeah. Knowledge. Yeah. God or gods. No. <laughs> Society. As a human construct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Money. Is money real? Yeah. Numbers. Yeah. Fictional characters. Are they real? <laughs> oh, God, we're back to definitions again. <laughs> Are they real in the sense of the physical? No, no, I guess not. Okay. Holes, like a hole in the ground? Yeah. Chairs? Yeah. Uh, sandwiches? Yeah. Science? Yeah. Natural laws? Yeah. Beauty? Jesus, that's a subjective term. <laughs> yes, that is. It's again. not a fair question. No, none of this is fair. That's why but it's to torture. me. Yeah, okay. Beauty is, is, is perceived beauty is real. Yeah. Okay. Love. Yeah. Causality. Yeah. And finally, time. Is time real? Yeah. All right, you survived. How do you feel? Well, I mean, inadequate. I feel like they, I don't feel like my one word yes or no answers like explore much of that, but it's, it's a fun exercise. What's the purpose of it? Oh, it's got lots of purposes. It's, you know, first of all, as you notice, to uh, highlight the lack of a simplistic account of real and the fact that we actually mean a bunch of different things when we say the word real in different situations and, you know, games like that. And uh, it's also a fun way to torture philosophers in particular who spend a lot of time thinking about one tiny portion of this list and when when and never have to answer all of the questions at the same time and so yeah that's pretty much where it's at i know it is a it sounds like a, a good party game i think more more than that it sounds like a, a conversation starter you know i have actually gotten messages from listeners that they use it on first dates no that's so. interesting that's it's a good icebreaker, I hear. Um, okay, well, so Seth, um, hopefully you can stick around a little bit. We could do a little bit of extra. Um, I know we ran a little long there, but it was a lot of fun. Before we do that, though, do you want to let non-patrons know where they can find your content? Oh, yeah, I'm easy to find. Just uh, go to thethinkingatheist.com or sethandrews.com. It's all right there. And I appreciate the conversation. I think you and I, I, re I really do feel like you and I, are, we, we're aligned. I think we genuinely want the same things out there. And um, mm -hmm. you know, I think so too. I, I appreciate the discussion about approaches, and and I don't mind at all being challenged. I think even a spirited conversation about this stuff is a, is a healthy one. And yeah, I, I agree, and I appreciate you. Uh, I really uh, yeah, I appreciate you as well being willing to have uh, that challenging conversation. So we can talk a little bit more about some of this stuff um, VIP. But yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, you bet. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks again to our listeners and patrons who make the show possible. Thanks to our newest monthly patron, Ilmar Vakalin, and our newest yearly patron, CS. 
And as always, I'd like to thank our top tier patrons, our Archon level patrons, Lawrence Shielding, This Is Your Brain Speaking, Ha Whoa, Dude, Fix the Vote, Heathen the Vegan, Chad T, and Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman. And all the thanks to our Archduke level pat- patrons, Big Easy Blasphemy, Creepy Little Void Eyes, and Dave Maslich. If you'd like to support the show, please check out my other show, Philosophers in Space. And while you're at it, check out our wonderful editors, Filmed Live Musicals podcast. Uh, leave them all a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. You can also follow me on Twitter at ETVPod or email me at voidpod at gmail.com. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access to episodes and bonus VIP content. Most of all, no matter what beliefs you're afraid to share, you are the void and the void is you. Thank you.